This is Wildfire, the B2B Under 30 podcast on MarketScale. Here, B2B's youngest stars share the ideas, concepts, and innovations that are catching fire in the fastest growing markets. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Know the product you're selling, like really know it. That's one of the basic tenets of sales. And our guest today took this motto and ran with it at full speed. On this transportation episode of Wildfire, we are joined by Tate Prizer, NPI and sales account manager for PCC Structurals, who made his way through the industry from an engineer to customer relations in practically no time at all. This varied background gave Tate invaluable experience, which also means invaluable insight. From juggling proactivity and reactivity during a pitch, the right balance of going solo and asking for help, and the real secret behind succeeding in sales no matter your industry. Tate, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing okay. How about yourself? I'm great. I'm great. You know, you were suggested to me by a coworker to be on our Wildfire podcast, and uh, he told me that you two were in choir together, and I, I've got to say, I was also a choir kid, and I uh, I miss it every day. You know, I, I wish there was still a little bit of that choir in my life. Oh, absolutely. You know, karaoke bars can only get you so far. <laughs> right, exactly. Have you found a way to uh, implement any singing into your sales job yet? <laughs> not, not yet. That's, uh, that's not something that has been a job requirement at this point. Uh, that's mostly still just... <laughs> In the shower at the, at the moment is that part of right. my life, but as much as I can get it, uh, you know, got some side projects going on, but... Right, exactly. I mean, hey, who knows, maybe uh, maybe one day that's going to be what really drives home a sale, is you uh, you sing them the pitch and they're just blown <laughs> away. If it, if it gets to that point, I think I'll have some other problems going on, but you know, I'll keep you posted. Right, I love it. So, you are in the aerospace industry, uh, and... I feel like aerospace is one of those things that can be really mystifying and fascinating at a young age, you know, looking up at the stars and space and rockets and everything that goes into them. What intrigued you about aerospace from a young age? Um, So it's actually, it's kind of, I was, you know, it's an environment I was raised in, essentially. Uh, You know, my, my dad has always worked for Lockheed Martin doing this space system side of things. And uh, that's actually how he, he met my mom is uh, her, her father, my, my grandfather worked for Lockheed as well. And, you know, her, everybody's in on both sides of the family has some sort of connection in that regard. Um, so it's always been just the aerospace engineering thing has been something that I've been involved with my entire life. Uh, and as I grew up through high school and then decided I want to be an engineer, uh, you know, I, I went the mechanical engineering route because, you know, it stays pretty open-ended. Uh, but, you know, I fell in love with airplanes and fluid dynamics and things like that and figuring out how and why things fly. And, well, now here I am. So <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so great that you were exposed to that from a young age just because your whole family was involved in it. That's uh, I, f- I feel like that's uh, quite a rarity, um, I mean, especially for for that industry in and of itself, that you had both parents uh, involved in it and you were just sort of born and raised into the industry kind of cool absolutely it's the running joke around our thanksgiving table is how many engineers does it take to you know do anything around our house (laughs) right yeah it's uh you know my my dad's a a very handy guy you know we he you know grew up working in his shop and things like that with him but you know any, any project my mom has for him would be it you know a new sprinkler system to just you know set of racks that hangs in the laundry room 
Uh, you know, she likes to say that it doesn't have to go to space, but it probably <laughs> could. So, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, that's that's quite the capability. You definitely uh definitely won't hurt if your washer dryer can also you know take you up to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Love it. So you started as an engineer at your company, um, but you made your way into the customer relations side of your industry, which I feel like is just a complete switch. And now that you're in that area, you know how important have you found? that front end for a product like yours, you know, that, that sales face, that communication um, for pushing aerospace technology. Have you found it difficult because of the highly technical products? I mean, what, what's been your take on it? Um, so it's actually, it's, you know, they go hand in hand. So, you know, like I, I started with the customer relation thing and talking about the engineering side of it. So, you know, making this part or making this component, we're having issues with this part of the design or this tolerancing and things like that. Uh, and so, you know, that would be a, a kind of conversation I would have with our customers, design engineers and their quality team and things like that. Uh, and it's really a lot of the same people are involved from the sales side as well, because, you know, with those changes and things of that nature, you know, that we, with the business and the, the world that we live in, that all comes with price changes and everything's got its price point, right? So, you know, if they're willing to give us a break on certain inspections or make changes for us, you know, that's something that we turn around and, all right, well, you helped us out. So now it, your part costs less, that kind of thing, you know, um, or if if they come to us and they're saying, all right, here's here's these this new spec or this new change that we want to implement because our end use customer has a new requirement or FAA new requirement or any of the new specs that are constantly being updated have a new statement in it, you know, then we have to sit there and it's actually really helpful for me to have that engineering background because I can say, all right, making this change is, it's got this much work associated with it, this much cost associated with it. So it, you know, they've, is really kind of why my company has been excited for me to make this move into the front end sales side of things, customer facing role is that it's, it's one less step before I can get them an answer, right? There's not the, all right, I'll have to talk to my team about in the engineering side about all this stuff because I already, I already am that team, right? So it's, uh, it's been helpful to have both backgrounds. And even when I was in the engineering side, getting that understanding of how the sales side worked, uh, just from, uh, how we get things done and, you know, how, what we're doing on part improvements and things, how that helps both sides and how we ship parts and end of the day, get airplanes in the air. Did you find that that communicative side of your job came really easily when you transitioned? Or was that something that interested you and you sort of had to develop was communicating and selling the ideas and the designs and the products to the customers? So the, the communication side um, definitely comes just a little bit more naturally to me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm rather unique in that I'm an outgoing engineer, at least, uh, <laughs> you know, on stage and things of that nature. Um, so it's it, every conversation you have with somebody is different. So the learning how to talk to the customer and learning how to do that is you have to do it every time you pick up the phone. So it's, you know, once you have a good rapport with whoever it is on the other end, it, it, it you know, it always gets easier, but no two people are the same. So I could describe whatever the situation is or whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish the same way six times and get six different understandings from everybody in the room. So it's, you know, you have to be able to tailor it 
to each individual that you're talking to. So that's really the learning curve for me is is how how I'm understanding essentially the way it's perceived what I'm talking about. You know, it's that I had a professor in school that was we were teaching a heavy design class and you know the whole premise of it was here is your pitch now you're walking into this small company that's buying it and the people sitting in the room are the ceo of the company the guy that signs the checks in the financing their lawyers their head engineer and you know the ceo's wife and at the end of the day everybody in that room has to understand what you just talked about so you can go on and on and on about technical details and really in-depth knowledge about all that kind of thing but if you don't find a way to convey that to the finance guy or the lawyer or the CEO or his wife and everybody else involved it you know it all comes back to you have to make that message clear so that that's not a skill that is a universal thing and so that's the the hardest thing I've been faced with is figuring out each individual that I'm talking with how do I get the best communication with them and what has been your method to accomplish that? Because, I mean, <laughs> that list of people that you mapped out, I'm sure they're all looking at the product in a completely different way and, uh, you know, are interested in different aspects of it. Some people might be interested in what can this do for me technically and other people are thinking how much is this going to cost me and you trying to explain both of those points as importantly to each of them so they all feel like you care about them, right? Like you are giving them the pitch and you are making sure that they feel informed. That's got to be tough. So what is your like methodology for making sure that everyone's got the clear point of view? So the, the best thing that I've learned so far is actually something that I learned from my boss at the my supervisor in that engineering role is, you know, when we make a presentation to customers that's specifically just engineering, you, you kind of tailor it to the questions they're going to ask. So you try and anticipate, if I say these nine things or I have this number of bullets on my slide, my slideshow, what's the question that if I was on the other end, would, would they ask? So it's actually almost a lot easier to stay in very high-level detail initially and then wait for them to ask questions because then it becomes clear that what their intentions are by the questions that they ask and then you can tailor your answer a lot more easily than you can the initial pitch so if you if you have the starting conversation as a high level you know here's the part number we're talking about here's the general issue we're looking at you know we just need a new po here's the quote that kind of thing and then you get that in front of them everybody's going to ask a different question about that quote you just sat down in front of them so if you can answer their individual questions, it's at that point the room kind of divides more and you're talking more to the individual than the group. But at the end of that, everyone comes away with a better understanding because they asked their own questions. And that's what made it makes it a lot easier is if you can, especially if you get good, that's something that I'm really trying to get better at is if I can get good at anticipating those questions so that I can kind of tailor them to be asked in the way that I want is the, is the, what makes a good salesman is what essentially what I've been learning. So now I just need to figure out how to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's like you have to balance being proactive, reactive, and adaptive, like all at the same time. Those kind of conversations. Yeah, it's it's you know it's very much like you know you meeting a girl in a bar, right? You walk up to her, you can say hi, but you got to have something after that, and <laughs> right. hopefully, and it's all it's all very similar actually. So it's. Uh, you got to be on your toes for sure. Yeah. 
Hmm. Yeah, you gotta, I mean, hey, if you're pitching yourself to someone as like, hey, I am a cool human being, you should speak to me. I'm, I'm sure the same kind of mentality is going into having to, to pitch the product is just being relatable and wanting people to treat what you're saying as important, but also feel like you think they're important. I, mean, I feel like at the end of the day, what's really going to help with the sale is just being human about it and feeling like you're having a real conversation with these people and not just being a robot that can push out information. Exactly. And, you know, it's that that helps even more once the sale is made. And, you know, it's the, the account management side, not the sales part of my, my job. Right. Which is which is a whole nother beast. Right. It's the all right. You know, we're 40 parts late to ship you. You know what we promised. And so, <laughs> like, how do we talk to them? And, you know, there's there's almost this stigma in the business world where it's like, while the person's sitting in the room across from you, both of you are sitting there pretending like you don't have other suppliers and you don't have other customers. But it's actually been the most effective for me when we break that ice immediately and you can just be honest and say, look, I don't even have the capacity to do this for you. Like I'm doing my best I can. If we change these nine things or we work on whatever it is, we can probably improve the situation or at least get better consistency or something of that nature. But I've got 10 other people behind you asking me the same exact question, you know, and being honest with them about that and the situation you're in, being upfront, saying, look, either we screwed up here or I just don't have enough manpower or whatever it is. You know, that's being honest really goes a long way. No, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I mean, being honest in any sort of sales pitch or or any sort of business relationship, I think it makes people obviously more trusting of what you have to say. So better to just be upfront, even if it's not the happiest thing that they want to hear, because then at least they know that when you do tell them good news, you're not um, throwing them for a loop, right? It is good news. It's not you just trying to like cover your bases. Right. Honesty and uh, expectation management is uh, definitely the, the two skills that are most appreciated. Definitely. So in your position, what have you found to be one of the hardest things to communicate to your customers? Like what aspect of, of the products that you sell, um, some of the, the data, maybe the technical side of it, maybe the financial side of it, what has been that tough thing that people always need to have clarified and you've, um, you know, you've had to work to get just right? So it's, for us, it's actually really interesting because data and things of that nature, our customers are also all very technical people, or they at least have a team that is very technical. So, you know, I can send a data file and that kind of over, and we can talk about that for hours. It's the, our customers, you know, I, we manufacture jet engine parts primarily, or s things that uh, in end use have to work perfectly every time, all the time, every time, right? So it's, the tolerances and the clean rooms on their end are very, very different from the casting manufacturing plants that I'm used to where it's, you know, we're just making parts. It's dirty, it's hot, it's loud, and it's really hard to explain of, you know, I promised them three parts this week and we only got two and now I have to explain that, you know, it could be anything from, like, I have to, from, you know, we got a hole in the part for whatever reason, but they don't want to hear that, right? It's the customers have this expectation of do it right perfectly every time the first time and that's that's not at all how we run and it's every casting's a snowflake so it's really a unique business for us but it's it's also my job to protect the team you know like I, i'm not gonna tell them hey yeah steve screwed up yesterday and it's all on you know like <laughs> we had one guy that didn't show up for work or whatever like that's not 
my job to do the, I'm not throwing those guys under the bus. You know, it's my job to protect them and say, Hey, here's, here's a logical reason why we didn't ship it. Here's our plan to recover. You know, it's an immediate apology and here's how we're going to fix it is usually the best way to do that. So I guess now I'm like looking for advice from you for other salesmen. I think what's really helped you succeed at your job is that you started off on the back end and then worked your way to the front end and were able to communicate those things effectively. Do you feel like that should just be a prerequisite for people that go into sales is maybe spending a little time actually learning the ins and outs of the products they're selling and feel like they can communicate it because they have that personal connection to them? I definitely think so. You know, it's making the move was a little bit difficult just because, you know, I went from very, very familiarity with individual parts and individual components and things of that nature to, all right, here's all of them. You at least have a higher level understanding of the process. Um, so it's, uh, I think every salesman would tell you, know what you're selling is, is definitely the, one of the most important things. Uh, and, be that just your product or how you make it, right? So it's like, if your company's the best at what you do, there there's a difference between, yeah, we're making you a ball that's weighs this much, bounces this high. But if your ball bounces the same height every time, all the time, forever, it, because what you do is that much further above and beyond what your competitors do, that's just as important to sell. You know, it's a... Uh, Everybody can make a product. It's whether or not the quality on the end is worth the price. So that's almost more important to sell is what makes you different. You need to know that, not on top of the technical details. I mean, I, I definitely have the added benefit of being in such a unique company and a unique position in that, you know, we're not doing cold calls. I'm not calling up GE or Rolls Royce or whoever it is or Boeing and saying, hey, do you guys need some plane parts? You know, it's a, uh, they, uh, I'm not going door to door here. So it's like my skill set is so much different because our customers always come to us with, here's what we need, here's what we want you to make. And so then that's where the sales come in on my end is, all right, can we make it? That's the technical side. How much is it going to cost? And then convincing them that how much it costs for us versus our competitors is why that's the, the sales part there. I'm not, you know, I'm not out here just just throwing parts all over the place, <laughs> right. I guess, trying to sell anything and everything I can. Right. So it's a unique it's definitely unique. It might not, you know, might not apply to every sales opportunity, but certainly within my industry it's uh it it's a unique skill set. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. You're not just out there like, hey, buy this uh very expensive space part. Like, yeah, you're not just throwing it in front of their faces. They're, you're definitely just meeting a you're you're more helping them meet a need or they know what they already need and you're trying to give them the best solution rather than just trying to convince them that they need some product that they've never heard of before. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely not going to be the next Billy Mays, you know, coming on TV at right. 2 in the morning of who wants titanium? Like it's just not right. it's not <laughs> Although I would like to see you sing that, so you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll get, it might come full circle. We'll get, yeah, we'll get the band back together and see, uh, yeah, see exactly. what we can put. I love it. Okay, so we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to chat a little bit more with you about sort of your generation as a whole. So maybe how this wave of millennials has changed the industry, um, you know, kind of what effect you think they've had on the engineering side, on the sales side, how maybe are more interconnected. 
sort of society and the way that we've been so ingrained with social media and uh, with our digital citizenship, um, how that has changed maybe the way that you communicate with customers or you communicate within people in your industry. And then I just want to know a little bit more about what you want to do to take charge and change the way that sales and technical skills combine in your industry. So we'll be right back soon with more of that. All right, Tate, so I want to get your take on this. Uh, There is a wave of millennials that is entering the workforce and already has entered the workforce. You know, they're the backbone, I think, of a lot of industries. The youngest ones are graduating and beginning their careers, and the oldest ones have been at it for a while now. You know, it's not like they're a considerably fresh group of people in the workforce, but I think we are seeing the last wave of this before Gen Z um, get, you know, putting some effect on different industries. And we've seen millennials that have been at it for a while, I think, paving the way for where industries are going to go in the future. So I wanted to get your take on what kind of effect you think um, sort of this younger, fresher breed of, uh, of workers is doing for the aerospace industry. <laughs> that's a it's a little bit of a loaded question, I guess. Uh, yeah, right. Sorry. <laughs> it's a well. So the the based on the industry, you know, the the type of people that go into it are, are always a little bit different, right? So with with aerospace, it's such a it's such an old guard that it you know a lot of to get in with a Lockheed or a Boeing or even a P, here at PCC, you know, that you have to be a certain type of individual to have the mentality to almost not form fit yourself completely, but mesh with the culture that's already in place you know it's when i was especially when i was doing the production engineering side of things you know it's it's really hard to come up to a guy that works on the floor he's been doing visual and dimensional inspection for the past 35 years he's worked there his entire life and now here's this kid coming up to him saying yeah why don't we do this instead you know or go up to a welder or grinder and be like all right i'm going to change the way you've done this forever because you know i have this idea you know it's a the older generation isn't has been very very receptive for the most part of millennials coming in and trying new things especially here at PCC we're pretty unique about that with our the way we integrate new new employees especially in engineering and management roles uh but I can get into that later um but that's that's definitely the most difficult part is you know talking to somebody that is very set in their ways or is kind of that old school mentality and being like trying you have to have a good reason you know you have to show up and say all right here's why i'm right not just because they're not just going to inherently trust you you know you have you definitely you have to prove yourself a little bit extra compared to what the people around you are doing as the new guy which is that's probably true no matter what's going on you know until you prove yourself you know that that doesn't really that's not an only millennial thing you know it's so it's a it's a little bit interesting there but PCC actually does like a really good job. I'm not, <laughs> it's a really unique system and it's called our management development program in that 90% of our new hire engineers uh, go into a two-year rotation program where they spend a year at different facilities, usually in different divisions throughout PCC, uh, 
I believe it's only nationally in America right now, but we have 160 plants worldwide through our several different divisions of forgings, castings, uh, all over the map for what we do to supply aerospace. So it's those new candidates will do a year at each plant. And within that year, they'll do six months of shop supervision and management, and then six months of engineering, be it production engineering, quality engineering, um, M&T being our, you know, materials technology side of stuff on the new, what's the newest, latest and greatest thing coming out. Uh, so it's, it's actually super unique in that they get those two years of experience that ends up being a year of management and a year of engineering. And then they're guaranteed a spot somewhere in the company at the end of that, where they get to choose if they want to do engineering or management at the end of that. So it's, uh, it's a super unique way to get a lot of exposure, uh, within the company and do a lot of really fast paced training. But at the same time with the nature of our market and our business, that also puts a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility on new hires that they likely wouldn't get anywhere else. I was talking with uh, one of the guys in that program last night, actually, about how nobody else at 24 is running a shop of, you know, 100 guys that, you know, he he was responsible for moving $500,000 worth of product yesterday. You know, it's like, and that's right. And some of our other, our other plants, you know, we've got individual parts that are worth that much. And it's his responsibility to ship X amount of dollars. And, you know, it's, his job to make sure everybody's there on time you know it's that's even harder because it's like like i mentioned earlier those guys that have been here 30 40 years now you got a kid who's been out of school for a year and is only going to be here for six months so that's the extra challenge that millennials at pcc get is you know that there's an even more you're not even going to be here six months from now why would i listen to you kind of aspect so you have to gain respect very quickly um i'm unique in that i was hired the good old-fashioned way i'm just a direct hire straight into being an engineer so i kind of missed out on that program i'm i'm doing a more of a development of the sales side of things now we're trying to create a similar program with an engineering background to develop our sales personnel um but the that's how millennials are really integrating for the most part at pcc and i know it's super unique uh, and i think it it's good and bad in some respects because you get all that from especially from a development side as the as the new guy you know you're you're getting the training you're getting the experience that you would never get anywhere else until you've had 10 years industry experience right so it's it kind of cuts that waiting around line a little bit for the responsibility and i think that's something that at least talking with most of my friends and people my age is you know we went to school for whatever it is or we're good at whatever we're trying to be good at and there's a lot of well you have to wait around to get the opportunity to have the responsibility but a lot of us, you know, we just kind of want to be thrown into trial by fire sort of situation of let me at least give it a shot and then I'll ask for help when I need it kind of thing. No, but yeah, what's, what's really cool about PCC is it sounds like what your company can do is sort of empower you to uh, take control and to take command and be that that young driving force. But at the same time kind of take away the need for you to prove yourself from a, like a completely independent standpoint like you don't have to fight and work to make your voice and your talents heard at the company they they give you the opportunity to do it so it's almost like you have to prove yourself just because they sort of expect you to um to hop in and and to 
succeed and to exceed, but you also don't have to like fight for it at the same time, which seems like a, it, it's almost like um like a stress relief, but also kind of an extra push at the same time. Right. It's the, I really, really want this job and this responsibility and then you get it and now here's a really heavy box of all the stuff that you're in charge of, right? So right. You know, you got to, you got to be ready to take that responsibility. And I think a lot of, we've proven that a lot of us can stand up to that and it's, you know, it's a, some people don't like it. It's definitely not a style for everybody. And PCC is certainly unique in the, all right, you got to do your job and do it right. Or you there. Yes, it's exactly. It's a definitely not for everyone, but it's, we're definitely making an impact here at least. Definitely. And then you know, you also mentioned that, you know, you don't shy away from asking for help when you need it, that there is a support system there of people who've been there for a while that are, willing to give that helping hand if you need it Uh, you know who has been that mentor for you that really helped you grow into the engineer and then also the customer relations side of things that you know that you are now um and how important do you think having that kind of mentor presence is in the aerospace industry it's a it's kind of interesting in that uh the mentor depends on the subject, right? So the first question is always to the guy sitting next to you of, hey, do you know anything about this? Or do you at least know who I could talk to? And having that kind of initiative to say, I tried this, I gave it my best shot, but I'm hitting this wall. So I have a specific problem that I need help with, or I don't even know where to begin is definitely a first step that once you ask that question, someone will point you towards, oh, you know, Gerald's been here for X number of years. He'll know everything all all about that. Then, you know, you just go talk to Gerald and he's almost always excited to help you out and talk about it. But there's definitely a good chance that it could be the guy that's only been here a year longer than you have because he had to do it six months ago. You know, so he's he also knows the answers to your questions as much as. So I guess I don't have one specific mentor that helped me out with that production side. Um, I got really lucky in that my interview and I was hired by the guy that at the time was the engineering and sales director for the plant that I started at in Portland. Um, And he is now our vice president of sales and engineering for the entire division. So he's been a really close mentor mentor for me. And it's, uh, it's pretty unique in that he's very involved and it's really nice to have someone that high up with that much knowledge and that much experience there to answer your questions and give guidance when needed. So it's, uh, I guess, just having all that experience around and all the willingness to help is is definitely worthwhile. Uh, you know, you'll have people every now and then that are, that's just who they are and they don't feel like helping you out, but that's very rare from what I've found. Well, I think there's also an unfortunate expectation for um, a, a generation of young workers to enter the workforce and to sort of just be like, well, you kind of have to power through it, and sorry, everyone had to do this, you have to do this now, and you're just sort of expected to make it out alive on the other side. But right. I think that the reality is that, yeah, they want to see people be motivated workers and put in that effort and not just expect people to hold your hand all the way through, but you know, there's also people there that want to help you, that want to see you succeed. And so I think especially for a field that's so technical and with so many responsibilities for just the literal price of the things you're handling are so expensive and your customers are so dependent on um, the products that you produce, you know, it's good to have someone on your side. And it's good that 
there are mentors and there are people that have been there for a while that don't shy away from being that helping hand. Exactly. And, you know, it's, I feel like that was kind of instilled at least where, with what I went to school, you know, if I needed help on a homework problem, I had better at least have a page of work from when I tried. You know, if you show up to your professor's office and say, hey, can you help me? And you haven't even started it. Unless your question is, I don't know where to begin, he's not going to, you know, it's, it's not worth his time if you haven't tried yourself. You know, he's got his own stuff to do. He's got more motivated people to help out. So that, that carries over a lot into the professional world for sure. Yeah. And, and so, you know, with your job, I think you also have to communicate a lot of intricate data. And you said the people that you're communicating with already sort of know the back end of things or at least are familiar enough with the data that they aren't just completely thrown off by the numbers or by the uh, content of the products that you're showing them or that you're trying to pitch them on. Um, but, you know, I, I still think communicating that data is difficult. And have you noticed that um, this younger generation of workers in the aerospace industry have maybe found it easier or harder to communicate that data just because I know that we've grown up I think a, a little more communicative. Uh, no, that's not the right word. Hold on. Um, just because I, I know that we've grown up a little more connected and the amount of communication we do on a daily basis uh, is pretty rapid fire and pretty overload. And so I'm just wondering, it, you know, have you seen any sort of effect from that on your industry, like whether positively or negatively? So it's actually interesting because it's, you know, Data-wise, data seems to always speak for itself. So it's the communicating what you want to do with that data. So like, all right, here's what we see. We all see the results of this. What the solution now is what is the difficult part to communicate. And, you know, I, we do all, like millennials are known for always being on social media, always being over, all over the place. Uh, I think the opposite side of that argument would be, yes, we do it a lot, but the effectiveness of that communication can be very dependent on who you're talking to. Um, different millennials, you know, like I've, a lot of the guys that I talk to that are customers are also millennials. So they're, you know, it's a lot more laid back. Our meetings are like, you know, just a a little bit more easygoing, uh, than if we're dealing with somebody that has been around for as long as it is and, and is a lot more formal with the whole situation. Um, but I think a, like a really prime example of this is if you look at the, you know, the SpaceX method of how they do things and that, you know, the average age of the person at SpaceX is between 28 and 30. And, you know, they're they're doing some of the most cutting edge things in the world. And it's like I have friends that work for them now or interviewed with them and things of that nature where it's the things that millennials care about and think are important are different. You know, it's your, you start fresh out of college at 22 there and your boss will be 24. And so it's like the interview questions there are so different and all over the place. And they're so, they have such a huge presence on, so, on social media that everybody's so involved. Like everybody in the industry, be it Lockheed or Raytheon or whoever it is, is so doing all this cutting edge, amazing things that because they don't have that millennial presence isn't all over social media. You could argue that SpaceX isn't, the, isn't doing a very good job of what they're doing, but they're definitely trying it and people are interested because they're seeing it. You know, their, their success rate probably isn't nearly as high as some other other companies and things of that nature, but the other, you would never know because the other companies aren't as involved with the social media side of things. So it's, it, it, that's an entirely different aspect of the millennials being communicative and helping out with just this almost not your customer base, right? It's the, 
just the outward appearance of what you're doing and how you're doing it. Yeah, yeah, they they must have just a a slightly better understanding of how to brand yourself as a modern company in today's day and age. Right, and you know it's a uh, it's definitely interesting because you know then you look at the we have two branches of this right where it's it's really hard with a lot of restrictions of some of the nature of what we work on here and uh, everybody else in the industry. There's a lot of you know uh, classified stuff that is that we're not allowed to talk about, and so it's uh it's just really interesting that, you know, even if it's not something that's classified, you won't have a guy that's 50 to 60 tweeting about it. You know, that's just not how it works. So less people are going to hear about it, less people are going to know about it, even if it's the coolest thing in the world. What would be just some advice for another engineer or salesperson coming into the aerospace industry um, that would help them succeed? You know, what has been like your biggest learning lesson since you've been in the industry and um, how would you relate that to someone who's maybe fresh um, it's uh definitely be ready to be wrong you know it's ask a lot of questions it's it goes a long way if you know especially like i was mentioning with the interaction with the the shop guys uh and the methodology they use as being an engineer and things of that nature it's a lot better if you can just ask questions about how what how they do their job if there's any improvements they want and you know as backwards as it is you end up making it seem like it was their idea and then they're on board you know it's a right you you don't need the glory of walking in and saying i have this great idea that's going to make everything so much better it's the because you know you don't have any proof of that so if you can walk in and just ask a lot of questions and be willing to learn and be willing to say or if somebody asks you a question be willing to say i think it's this but i'm not sure uh, and still be confident in your answer and still that's how you'll learn fastest is being able to say, I think so, but I don't know. And then that gives you the opportunity to either for them to teach you directly, or now you have to go find out, right? Cause it, everybody's going to ask you a question you didn't think of. That's, there's a reason we work in teams and not all by ourselves here is that somebody's going to think of something you didn't. And, you know, you can't be afraid to be wrong. You can't be afraid to miss something 10 steps back and, go back and do it again because it's there's nothing wrong with that you know tomorrow is another day and even if i one of my mentors here said you know 90 percent of the stuff we try we can undo tomorrow you know it's we can just if we're doing something new we can just not do it that way if it doesn't go right so don't be afraid to try new stuff but also don't be afraid that when that new stuff goes wrong it's not the end of the world you know right don't be afraid to experiment and to try your hand with something new every day. I feel like that's a perfect motto right. for any kind of job. You know, make sure every day is a little newer, a little fresher than the last. And if it completely blows up in your face, well, then, hey, at least you tried something new. Now it's time to time to try something else. And it gets you out of bed in the morning, you know. You did the same thing every day. It, it would get old. Yeah, agreed. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page there. Absolutely. All right, Tate, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving us this really, really potent insight on combining sales, combining technical skills, and uh, just sort of some changes you're seeing in the aerospace industry. It's something we haven't had on Wildfire yet, and uh, I'm really glad that you were the one to walk us through it. So thanks again, Tate. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your time. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Wildfire. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes or some of our other podcasts, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. 
Today's featured song was actually by our guest Tate Prizer and his bandmate Mark Huber. The song is called Trapped by You by the RLN. If you like what you heard, you can find a link to this song and more of their music on our site. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.